Well, hi, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. It's our second show today on the 20th of September, 2023, and thank you for being here with us. We've got Joe Feldman here today. Joe is the Chief Executive Officer of a, a very, very interesting educational organization called Crescendo Education Group, and I have it linked up here on site all right. He's the founder, he's the CEO, and what they're concerned about is improving grading and assessment practices at colleges, at universities, and at K-12 schools and districts. And it has to do with what Joe will explain to us is called equitable grading. And he's going to tell us all about it, how they work with school districts, how they work with colleges as well. All right. And we'll talk about all this and why it really matters. And he actually wrote a book called Grading for Equity, what it, what, what it is, why it matters, and how it can transform schools and classrooms. So I'll bring, bring Joe one just about a minute. I just want to say we're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's the home website of our consortium for equity. There we go, in education. All right. And... Uh, we work very hard for equity every day, and as such, we have our magazine over on the website, our online journal called Equity and Access. We archive all the podcasts over there. We have our Excellence in Equity Awards, plus a ton of information. It's all free, and it's at ace, ace-ed.org, and we invite you to go over there and check it all out. Without further ado of me blabbing here, let me bring on Joe. Hi, Joe. It's Larry here. How you doing? Hi, Larry. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Where are you today? Uh, I'm in Oakland, California, my home. Wow. Far from here. I live in Maine. I'm all the way across the country from you, for goodness sakes. And thank you for being up so early and doing this. Sure. We actually uh, did some work with uh, College of the Atlantic up in your neck of the woods. There you go. There you go. Okay. Thank you for doing that. Okay. I appreciate it. And I love what you guys are doing. Again, I got it all uh, linked here, Crescendo Education Group. Joe, I want you to just tell everybody what you do, what the, what the group does. And brag a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a former teacher and principal and uh, 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 district administrator. And I, you know, worked in New York and Atlanta and Northern California. And in 2013, started working your way west. Why, why you wait to wait you? What can I say? You're working your way west from New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Going to get uh, your you feet know, wet. Um, I uh, started exploring uh, grading. It was something that I just felt like I didn't really have a handle on. And for lots of reasons, it was a struggle uh, among my teachers and among my colleagues and found this rich history of grading in this country um, and started to research and understand ways in which our traditional grading practices actually undermine a lot of effective teaching and learning and perpetuate achievement and opportunity gaps in our students without us even knowing it's happening. And so started finding um, ways in which we could make our grading more equitable, more accurate, um, more bias resistant and motivational. I'll talk about that uh, in a minute. But, um, you know, started partnering with schools and districts and um, started an organization that does that. So we work with, um, as you said, K-12 um, schools and districts and universities and colleges all to help give teachers access to the research on how to grade more effectively and in ways that um, really improve all students' performance, particularly those who have been historically underserved. Yeah, here, here. I couldn't agree with that. By the way, your organization, you know this, but I want people to know that is gradingforequity.org. 
gradingforequity.org. And I'm curious, I read a little bit on your website, I read actually quite a bit about everything on your website. And um, what, I, what I noticed was that, you know, you, had, you make a special point of saying how important grading is, is as to what an educator does. That's the whole point is to, you know, get the kids grades and move them forward, et cetera, et cetera. Yet there's too little time in teacher training of the way I see it and the way I went through it years ago. Okay. Really grading was, you know, just take test scores, which I made up myself, you know, the test I made up myself and then add anecdotal that classroom participation. Yet that's the, that's the summation of the child's work. That's, that's the whole goal of the whole thing. Yet it's not, it's not something that, we really take a lot of time to, to think about. That's why I love what you guys do. I hope I express that properly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we find is just like what you experienced, you know, when you were going through your teaching training, is that in graduate programs and in teacher certification programs, there is no support with how to grade. And yet, <laughs> the irony is it's one of the most important things that we do as teachers, and it has huge implications for students, right? It's absolutely. Like, do I get to take the honors class? Do I get to participate in sports? Do I get to get this scholarship? I mean, big, big um, aspects that can affect their life trajectory. And the irony is that we don't get much training. So that's why teachers are just so hungry for this work. It, it's And actually, I'm going to ask that question. When you go in and talk to a school district, you just said it, but I'd like you to get a little deeper in the weeds there. Okay, how hungry are they? Do they go, you're right, well, I don't know anything about this. I've been doing it for 15 years, and I still don't know anything about this. What, what, what's the reaction usually? Yeah, well, we get lots of different reactions and all very powerful ones. So sometimes, you know, we don't get much training, and yet it's yeah. so important. Teachers spend an awful lot of time creating their grading system, and they fine-tune it, um, and <laughs> they mostly are replicating how they were graded, right? A teacher did this for me when I was in school, so I'm doing the same thing. And yeah. they're kind of making yeah. it up as they go, but they've spent a lot of time. So when they're yeah. confronted with, I, with um, the information that the ways they're grading actually undermine their own work, some teachers are so thankful that they get the opportunity. Some are very resistant, like, wait a minute now. I'm a good teacher. You're you're suggesting that you're not saying I, they're the not a good teacher. Grading. Yeah, you're right. not saying that's they're right. not a good teacher. Yeah, that's right. Good. That's right. And what we try and do is just normalize it. You know, this is you don't you're not um, at fault for creating a system or replicating a system that's undermining your own work and hurting some kids because you're just doing what you got. And so now you have the opportunity. And what we find is when teachers um, go through this work with us it actually increases retention. We found oh. that for the teachers wow. that do this, they're so, wow. they're, we're filling a gap so that over 50% of them say they're more likely to stay in their district because of doing this work. That's saying something these days, it's always saying something, but saying something these days, it, it really matters. Okay, it really matters. And I want you to, you've said this three times now, mm -hmm. I think, how bad teachers, uh, teachers, own grading system quote could undermine this is the quote undermine their own work what do you mean by that that's a that's a so, quote you've used several times yeah that's right so traditional grading relies on a number of beliefs and um, sort of systems that um, were very important to us when the system was developed and the system was developed in the industrial revolution 100 years ago <laughs> um, when we were very concerned about 
um, preparing students for work in the factories where schools were really designed to sort students into those uh, you know who are going to get a lot of resources and become the bosses and the college-going folks and those who weren't going to get much support and go into the factories. Um, we were also had particular ideas about what motivation was, you know, very much behavioral, behavioralism, the rat in the cage, and you want it to do something, so you give it food or you electrify the floor. And these ideas have been totally debunked in the last 50 years of research. And yet many of the practices that we use in grading have fossilized using these ideas. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that we do traditionally is we say, okay, um, you know, we'll have homework, homework, a quiz, and a test, let's say. That's a very simplified version of what happens in a class. Yeah. And traditionally yeah. what we do is we include how the student did on homework, you know, that's graded, and then how they do on the quiz is graded, and how they do on the test is graded. And the, the problem is that we assign homework because we want students to have practice, right? We want them to make mistakes so they're still in their learning stage. That's what's supposed to happen and they learn from their mistakes so that, but that by the time they get to the test or the final assessment, they do really well. Well, what we do though is that we are including those mistakes that they make in the homework in the grade calculation. So let's say I, you know, I, I don't know anything about the Pythagorean theorem and so the I get some homework and I make a bunch of mistakes and so I maybe get, you know, four out of 10 or six out of 10 and then the quiz I do a little better, I get 80% and then I have another homework on it and I get uh, six out of 10 or seven out of 10 and then finally I understand when it's time to the test I get an A. And traditionally because we're including all those prior practice uh, kinds of assignments and exercises, the grade that I have as an A is probably pulled down to more like a B because it, the grade is including all those prior mistakes in my calculation. Mm, mm, so right. I might get the B. And then I might have another student who um, really did all the homework because they got a lot of help from a tutor or, you know, they did all that. And But when it came time to the final assessment, they didn't really understand it very well. Maybe they got a C plus. But because they've done all the stuff, their grade is actually lifted. So they have a B. So now you have two students, me and that other student, mm. I know it really, really well, and the other student doesn't know it very well, but we have the identical grade. Um, and in those ways, our traditional grading really warps the accuracy and makes it very difficult because we're including all this information and the prior mistakes, it, the grade doesn't actually help us with understanding where a student is in their learning. And that's just one example. Um, and it not only warps the accuracy, but it makes grades more biased because what happens oh, yeah. is if I'm a if I'm a student who went to a summer program where I learned about the Pythagorean theorem, I come in and I'm getting A's on every homework, every quiz, and then my final grade, of course, is an A, and so I have an A. But let's say I didn't go to that summer program because I couldn't afford it or we couldn't get there or I had to take I had to have a job. I come in not knowing the Pythagorean theorem. I make all those mistakes, which I'm supposed to make, by the way. That's what the practice is for. And I come in, and even though I learned it by the end, my grade is lower than that other student, even mm. though we both have. So those are, that's one example of how teachers using these traditional systems are actually not doing the things that they want to have happen in the classroom and making it harder for students to be successful, and particularly if they have a weaker education background. Yeah. And, and you know, if, and I, if you can make your students feel successful, you as a teacher feel successful. And I, I have to say, and you know, if you're fair to your kids, you're fair to yourself. And what you said before, 
you're going to like your job a lot more. You're going to stay at it. Okay. To me, what you said about teacher retention and all this sort of stuff, it's really, really amazing. So the equitableness that you're talking about, okay, does it have to do at all? Maybe you see this with the race, gender, et cetera. Is that part of what you guys do? Is there, does that build into this? I I believe that somehow it does, but I'm just curious. So when you use the word equitable, and I understand what you just said, and believe me, there is an inequity out there because we measure a kid from the ghetto in a Philadelphia public school like where I went, okay, to a kid in a very good suburban school, all right, and they have trying to get into the same college, all right. So it's a, so talk to me about the, the grading and equity in terms of race, gender, socioeconomic. Have you seen have yeah. you seen bias or whatever in that? Yeah, so, you know, I'll say, first of all, I'm not um, an expert researcher on equity and cultural responsive pedagogy okay. and, and those fields. But what yep. I'm doing is I'm trying to bring the, those researchers, you know, the um, Gloria Ladson-Billings and Lisa Delpit and, and um, Bettina Love into this work. So it, the, the ways in which we talk about it are, you know, in the example I just gave, Students who have been had more systemic um, denial of access to education um, are likely to come into the class less prepared, even if they are more successful, right? So in that example I just gave, you know, if I came in and I didn't understand the Pythagorean theorem for all kinds of reasons related to my race and my socioeconomic status, um, I would be dispro- make it disproportionately harder for me to be yeah. successful because right? So that's example yes. one. And that goes to sort of the institutional biases that are happening outside our classroom in many ways. There's also it, things it, that happen within our classroom around our implicit biases. For example, um, many teachers traditionally use participation. You just, you mentioned that actually um, as part of the grade calculation, right? Yeah. So is sure. student essentially acting in ways that show me that they are learning or that I believe will help them to learn, right? So you're raising your hand, you're coming in on time, you're um, sort of speaking at the right volume, um, all those kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. teachers use all kinds of things to be participation. And oftentimes participation is really saying, I learn in certain ways and I'm going to look for students to do the same thing, right? So there's kind of this archetype. And when you cross cultures around that, not every student learns the same and students behave differently and oftentimes we misinterpret student behaviors as sort of against learning or not the way we learned even though it may work perfectly for them right so what we find is and this is there's plenty of research on this is that we see that teachers when they use participation they will um, inadvertently bring their biases in well where in which particularly when the teacher is a white teacher and most teachers are, are white when they are looking at students of color or from different cultures, they will actually judge them differently and more harshly and not give them the same value in the participation points. And the reason why we don't want participation points is because it has these biases into it and because the ways that kids act may have nothing to do with how they learn. And the only way to know whether or not students have learned is to assess them. So we talk about how equitable grading is where you exclude participation from the grade calculation, and it is only a reflection of what kids know, not how they act or their behavior. Right. This is this is just so fascinating, and and I love it. By the way, how did you figure all this out? Maybe I know you're a smart guy, and I know you got good people around you, but at some point, something must have happened 
that you saw, wait a minute, something's not right here. And like you said, you were superintendent, principal, all that sort of stuff. When did you like see this and go, holy crow, I got to fix this? Well, it really started happening when I was a principal and I would see two teachers, let's say they were, you know, two algebra teachers, for example, and they have the same textbook, they have the same training, their students have essentially have the same profile and demographics, and yet the students have, the, the classrooms or those teachers have wildly different pass and fail rates, right? So in one class, you have 50% of the kids failing, and in another class, you have 10% of the kids failing in the same course. And as I started to explore more about, like, well, how could this be? I saw that it was in the ways they constructed their syllabi and the ways that they huh. graded, right? So they would say things like, well, in this class, um, 20% of the uh, homework is worth 20% of the grade. But in that class, 40% is. Or in this ah. class, you can turn things in late without a penalty. And in this class, the teacher doesn't accept it after one day. And this class has extra credit, and this class doesn't, right? So it, we don't want the grade to be reflective of the way the teacher grades. We want the grade to be reflective of the student's understanding of the course content. Boy, and that's so a great that quote. Really to, and it just did, yeah. some, it's not the way it was supposed to be. So no, it is not. Really kind of started me and, interviewing more principals and teachers and researching. Yeah, and it's so interesting. And, you know, it's true. Kids always say, oh, I don't want Mr. Johnson. He's really tough. But Mr. Smith is really pretty easy. But they're both teaching the same course. Okay, right. how could this be? And, it, it, and you're right that, you know, although teachers tend to close the door, quote, and have their own system, that's not the way it should be. That's not the way it works. Okay? Right. And, for an administrator or a school district or whatever to say, no, you have to grade on a system that's fair, okay? Regardless of what you're doing, we need to change the way you're thinking about this, okay? That's, that's heavy duty to a teacher. That's heavy duty. You sure is. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, fact, that's brutal. So talk to me. When you go in, okay, to a school district or a college or whatever, especially college where professors are kings and queens of their domain, so to speak, it's up to them what they do. I could tell you stories from when I went to school, drove me crazy. Okay. To college. Uh, Tell me, what do you do when you go in? How do you solve that, that problem of we're not, we want to teach you to do something better, not, not change your life. Don't talk to me about that. Because you really do confront them. Yeah, you're absolutely right that, you know, I write about um, in the book about how grading is one of the last islands of autonomy. For yeah. teachers that they, yeah. particularly in K twelve, where and also in post secondary, where yeah, I would say so post secondary too, yeah, yeah, there are so many mandates um, and expectations placed on them, and uh, you know the grade is one of the last ways in which they can bring their full professionalism and judgment about their students' performance, and nobody is in a better position to assign that grade than that teacher, right? Um, in fact, there are um, regulations in different states and districts that protect the grade from being overwritten. It's so prized by teachers. And so, um, yeah, yeah. unfortunately, oftentimes in, in the past, teachers really resist any conversation about grades because, like, don't take that away from me, right? That is, where, that is my professional identity that is really mm. exemplified in the way I grade. Um, and so we first start by really trying to normalize those feelings and that um, connection that teachers have to the grade. And then we explain and sort of expose that, yeah, you know, you haven't had any training about this, so let's just start learning about this. Let's, let's just be curious about 
why of all possible universes we have this grading system, and could there be another way, considering we've kept this system for the last 100 years? And I think <laughs> part of this work is really helping teachers feel like it's okay to be curious about this aspect of our work, and it doesn't mean that you're not a good teacher, and it doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing. It's just, you know, we want our doctors to keep learning and getting better. We want our nurses and architects. We want the same of our teachers, and we as professionals, I think, need to be open to, to learning about new perspectives and new ways yeah. of doing our work. Yeah, and there is, I have to say, you know, we all talk about the science of reading, that sort of stuff these days, <clears throat> and that there's a science of a, a, a grading, too. Okay, yes, we have to understand right. that. And which brings up the question, Joe, and you must have talked to college professors, schools of education. I assume the way you were talking that even today, and I went through teacher education about 12 million years ago. Okay, there were only 20 letters in the alphabet. It was so long ago. And <laughs> I have to, it's unbelievable. But what you're saying to me is basically as far as grading, which again is the summation of the student's progress. That's what we're all about. It's still not being taught as a science, so to speak. All right. In, in teachers' colleges, am I wrong? Or, I mean, what's going on? No. What are they, what are they, what the hell are they waiting for? Let me be blunt. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, what we've found is that it, overwhelmingly it's still not talked about in colleges and, and training programs. Yeah. And I think partly because, I mean, it's not, frankly, it's not real sexy. Right? It really is just, I think, a lot of people think that it's just adding up the points, right? Like the real, the real value is in curriculum design, in assessment design, you know, what does my test look like? Um, not in, and I think people sort of write it off. It's like, well, if you've made an assessment, it's 100 points. You put in, you know, the kid got 84 points, and you put in 84 in the grade. What's the big deal? And I think only now um, have Schools started to do that, you know. I, I think in part because of my book. Fortunately, um, you oh, know, I've heard um, folks, Stanford School of Education, and there's other um, sort of professional programs that are trying to start using it. Um, yeah, but it's still not there. And you know, I partly I think because graduate schools don't have a lot of time in, with their teachers, and so there's so much to address. And the teacher programs are pretty short generally, and Teachers are trying to get through that program so they can get a job because teacher pay isn't very much. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of complex dynamics that are making it so, you know, they're, they're really shaving this off from the curriculum. But, you know, I think teachers find that it's a really important part of their work. It's an incredible part of the work. And I don't think they – well, I think they do, but I want to say this the right way. When you were discussing the implications of grading at the beginning of the show today, okay, I don't think – you, we really, really, really down deep think about that that implication, how important that grade is to the kid and how we measure it. Okay, there's a yeah. lot in there. Okay, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that grade. All right, and it's not fair yeah. that Mr. Smith gives the kid a C. It was just coincidental that the kid was assigned to Mr. Smith versus Ms. Jones. Okay, but look right. at the difference between the two, if I may, and we've got to be careful about that. So, Talk to me when what's actually happened. Give us some results of some of the things that you folks have done as you work with school districts. But I know yeah, you have so, them on your website, by the way. I want to say that again. There are that you. I want to say this clearly. Crescendo Education Group doesn't walk. They don't have the tail light warranty when they drive out of the driveway. The warranty's done. 
Okay, they're measuring sure. the outcomes of all this. You can't see the taillights anymore. The warranty's over. Okay, not this yeah. way. Yeah, go ahead, talk, Joe. Tell us about it. Yeah. yeah. In- yeah. In fact, when I first started this, you know, this was, I was doing a lot of research and I, you know, I was partnered with one school way at the beginning. This is 10 years ago and started working with the teachers. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know if this would work because a lot of, this was new ways of grading in many cases. And so at the very beginning, I hired an external evaluator to look and see whether it was working. And what we found from the very beginning and has continued into this time is that teachers are changing what they do as a result of this work. So we're seeing that, you know, over the past, you know, uh, this is the data that we have prior to the pandemic because the pandemic interrupted a lot of things. But um, we found that teachers were 19 times less likely to include tardiness or adherence to the class rules in the grade. You know, teachers are less likely to reduce points for work submitted late. Um, they agree, they, they feel that there's less stress in the classrooms because of this work. And we can talk more about why that would be. But, um, and teachers are saying that, saying that this has fundamentally changed what they do in classrooms. We've also no. looked at what's happening to the grades themselves, right? So teachers love this, and they're self-reporting that things are different. But what's actually happening with the, the grades themselves? And what we're finding is that the DNF rates go down, um, particularly huh. for those students have been historically underserved English learners and students of color. Um, and we asked the teachers after, we show them the data, and we say, look, you had a decrease in Ds and Fs. So what do you think would be an incorrect assumption that other people would make about this work? And they say, well, they'll think that because we were equitably grading that we lowered our standards, that that's what mm-hmm. caused the DNFs. And I asked them, I say, well, what should I tell them? And the teachers say, you should actually say that, the, that it got harder. Our classrooms became more rigorous because now what we are doing is we are not saying, oh, you can just get these points from anywhere. We're saying that the grade only represents your learning. And you can't compensate for lack of learning by doing the extra credit points, right? Bringing in the cupcakes for the potluck or bringing in your syllabus signed or whatever, right? You have to actually learn. And because we were able to focus on it and because the students were able to focus on it, it made our classrooms more rigorous around our instruction. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was, uh, I guess, all through secondary school in Philadelphia again a million years ago. Okay. William Penn was with me in class. And, um, you know, I remember they broke every grade. Every teacher had three things to mark down. It was the 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 uh, the uh, academic ability behavior and I can't remember what the third thing was so like for social studies in eighth grade I would get three grades an A a B a C let's say okay and mm-hmm. I wonder how serious they took that because I don't think anybody ever did it anymore I don't think it's done anymore okay I'm not really yeah. sure yeah there, you know but, some schools have tried to think about you know the things that I've talked about like coming on time right so if that's not included in the grade some schools feel like well we actually want to give a grade about it but we'll make it a separate grade so some schools will do just what you described um, and some do it with real fidelity and some are a little bit more like how am I feeling as a teacher on the yeah, day so that I like I a lot of that goes a lot of a lot of yeah. I always say this a lot of what we do in teaching is with these kids is anecdotal Okay, mm-hmm. we get a sense of the kid. It is. And you know, we've got to be careful with that. You're exactly right with grading because anecdotal doesn't work. Okay, that much. Okay, it's not fair to everybody because you have everybody has inherent biases about something. 
Okay, right. like if a and kid you, mouth, mouth off to you or something like that, that has nothing to do with if the kid is learning. I mean, it's really, it's just really, really important. And I have to ask you this. How are you doing when you talk to college professors about this? I, I they were, um, when, I was, when I was in school, they were omnipotent. Nobody would say a word yeah. to them. And what I, little I know about the higher ed, I'm not an expert in it by any stretch of the imagination, they're pretty much uh, independent, so to speak. All right. In terms yeah. of how they grade, et cetera. When, when you talk to a university or a college, what's going on with them? Yeah. I mean, it's really very similar. I mean, they, they actually get even less training than the middle oh my God, school. They get none sometimes. I, They're just right. historians or chemists. Yeah. That's, that's they right. None. And, you know, they have, yeah. they have different levels of interest in teaching anyway. But um, yeah. what we yeah. find, what we find often is that the, um, Teachers, uh, faculty are really invited to be part of this. Um, it's, there's no requirement oftentimes because they just can't require them to attend uh, professional development. But when they're exposed and sort of invited and, and some of this information is kind of teased with them, they come and there's resistance and um, all kinds of the similar things we get from K-12. But they are really hungry for this research also. And it's what's interesting is that they so. become – they become really interested in the research aspects of it. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm a historian, let's say. I had no idea that the motivation research that's been going on in the last 40 years is actually pushing away from how I grade, right? I had no idea because I had no, I didn't even know motivation research. And now you're telling me about <laughs> this motivation yeah. research. It's really interesting to me. Oh, I'm going to stop giving them points for everything because the motivation research is saying that that's the exact opposite thing to do to motivate students. Right. It, 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 it's, it's really amazing. And, you know, uh, you, you said it before, some of them don't even know how to teach. Okay. And the difference is, remember, we, we call a teacher a teacher. You know, their good job is to teach. Okay. But a professor is up there to profess. Okay. Just expound <laughs> knowledge. That's the basis of it. Okay. We name it like that. Okay, but the, the truth of the matter is they have to work at teaching, too, because if you're if the kids aren't learning, you're not teaching. That's that's one of my favorite lines. And, you know, we have we have to yeah. be careful about that. What's your next book? Uh, we got to go in a few minutes. But what's your next book? Well, the, um, the book was originally published. Grading Correctly was published in 2018. And be, before we had yeah. I, I think we, we learned a whole lot more about why it's so important to grade more equitably. I mean, what we were seeing is that, you know, wide, wide, large numbers of students were getting Ds and Fs because of the way that remote learning was happening and all of the trauma that so many students and their teachers were experiencing. Yes, and I think what are. it did is, it, yeah, it really heightened our understanding or at least awareness that we've got to do something different in the ways that we grade because it is really so ineffective and even um, harming students. Yeah. And so I think I, I, the new edition of the book, Grading for Equity, it just came out about a week ago. And in oh, it, congratulations. I, I congratulations. Oh, thanks. In it, thanks. Uh, in the book, I spent some time talking about what the pandemic taught us and what the Black Lives Matter movement also sort of helped mm-hmm. us better mm-hmm. understand about our grading. Uh, and then there's also a chapter that I add around how to create system-wide change. So you can't just have an individual teacher improve what they do to be more equitable in their grading. You have to think about how a system like a school or a district can have equitable grading system-wide for the reasons you talked about. And yeah. how do you help teachers come to some coherence around it when grading has been this very protective activity? So we talk about 
how in our work with wow. districts and, and universities and other systems, how we help teachers um, build up a consensus and a body of evidence in their context that warrants full policy changes across the system, um, because that becomes so important for, for the institutions. And so important for the kids. And so, so important <laughs> for the kids. I mean, it's just, you know, wow, it's just amazing. Joe, this has been fascinating. i got to tell you, Joe Feldman is CEO of, of the Crescendo Education Group. I have it linked. It's crescendoedgroup.org. And I got to tell you, I learned something today. Joe, this is fascinating. I hope, you, I hope we can do more together. That would be great. Thanks for the invitation, Larry. I really appreciate uh, it. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Continue good fortune. Everything's good. And good luck with the, with the new edition. I hope a lot of people get it. Thanks. Uh, you're welcome. You take care. Okay. And enjoy. Okay. You got the whole day ahead of you. I'm here in Maine. We got only, I'm coming up to lunchtime. <laughs> okay. okay. Good. Enjoy breakfast. I'll talk, to, I'll talk to you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Great. Joe Feldman, everybody, please check it out. This is really, really important stuff. Okay. Crescendoedgroup.org. And his book is Grading for Equity. Now there's a second edition out there. Wow. Incredible. Wow. I'm, I'm speechless. Then that's not good because I'm doing a podcast. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. And if you need me, Larry at ace-ed.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Joe.